Okay, let's, let's uh, turn to Acts chapter 9, and as we do that, I will uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our study. Heavenly Father, we do worship you, we trust in you, we know that the love that we have for you this morning uh, is because you loved us first, and if we've put our faith in Jesus Christ, then your love has been uh, poured into our hearts, and so we have an eternal hope. Lord, we, we know that uh, your word is your truth, and it comforts us, and it, it corrects us, and it challenges us, and it gives us courage to pursue the mission that Jesus gave. And we pray uh, for that to happen in us, for us this morning. Show us more of yourself, in Jesus' name, amen. Last we heard... Last we heard in Acts of a young man named Saul, he was giving approval as the Sanhedrin stoned Stephen to death. Then he continued to persecute the disciples of Jesus in Jerusalem so that most of them scattered. Since then, he's continued to be busy persecuting the church. But Saul's life is about to be completely transformed. And the difference is a personal encounter with Jesus. More specifically, the difference is learning that Jesus is indeed Lord. Read with me in Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to see the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord, And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. 
and taking food, he was strengthened. So let's stop there at the beginning of verse 19, and we'll continue from there next time. So our text has three movements, and our discussion will have three movements as well. Saul's persecution of the church is brought to a screeching halt by a personal intervention from the risen Christ. Then the Lord chooses Ananias to be the hand of the church that helps Saul. And when the two meet, the Lord confirms that Saul has been chosen and is being commissioned in his service. So in verses 1 through 9, I'm calling this Saul meet Jesus, there can really be no question that Saul experiences a truly unique, an extraordinary conversion and commissioning. He'll be numbered among the apostles, but even in this, the apostle Paul refers to himself as one untimely born and the least of the apostles. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. Saul was an odd duck because he had persecuted the church and because of the way in which the resurrected Lord appeared to him. And yet, for all the uniqueness of Paul and his experience, what happens to Paul is a reflection of the extraordinary change that a confrontation with Jesus has in the life of anyone who responds in faith to be his disciple. One of the questions we have to answer here, because it greatly impacts the meaning of the text, especially in this, there will be parallel Uh, accounts of this occurrence in Acts 22 and also in Acts 26 when Paul himself is telling the story. In particular, in this one, we need to ask ourselves, why is Saul persecuting the church? Can there be any doubt that Saul thinks that this zealous effort on his part is actually for God? He is not, in fact, what the psalmist describes as the fool who says in his heart that there is no God, Psalm 14. Rather, he is exceedingly well-trained in Judaism, and he is zealous for the law of God. He'll say so himself, again, in the parallel accounts. Saul thinks he is pursuing a heretical sect that blasphemes God, calling this Jesus of Nazareth the Messiah. And he, he thinks that it therefore needs to be crushed, silenced, put out of existence. But all of this is because he is among those who have refused the evidence that Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah, and that he came to not do less than what they thought, but to do more. He came to not just free Jews from bondage under Rome but to free all of his own from slavery to sin and to make them right with God. Not even Saul's greatest efforts can make him right with God. Instead, he must receive righteousness apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ. You can go read that in Romans chapter 3 as Paul teaches it. That's the point then, isn't it? Before this, Saul thinks that what he's doing is pleasing to God, but the Lord arrests his wrong thinking. Why are you persecuting me? You have it backwards, and these followers of mine have it right. I am the way to right relationship with God. What an appropriate name 
that the, the Christian movement came to have, the way. Jesus says of himself in John 14, 6, many of you have it memorized, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by this one way, faith in Jesus. There is only one thing for, to be done now at a point like this, reverse course. So what changes in order for this to take place? Well, Jesus reverses Saul's spiritual blindness. If you took out Saul, this is the same that is true for any of us. Jesus reverses spiritual blindness. So again, just like you're asking yourself questions of the text, what is, it, what is this unique thing that happens to Saul where he's blinded? And is there something intended in here for us to see and think about that is happening spiritually while Saul is blinded physically? And it's that Jesus reverses spiritual blindness. Saul hadn't seen that Jesus is who he says he is, but now his persecution of the church is brought to a screeching halt, and the difference is the Lord Jesus. Saul thought he saw clearly how to follow God's will, but now he's left blind and stumbling, but in prayer, seeking God's mercy. The difference was Jesus. I think that although Saul has been blinded, he finally has spiritual sight. I think that at verses 6 to 8, for the first time ever, Saul obeyed the voice of the Lord. Go and wait. He thought he was obeying God. Now he actually obeys the Lord. And this is the journey of every person who would be right with God. We're heading our own way. Jesus takes initiative to intervene. Our necessary response is repentance and faith. Once God gives us eyes to see Jesus, what seems so unreasonable and even foolish to us in the eyes of the world, 1 Corinthians 1.18, becomes then to us, when we see Jesus for who he really is, it suddenly, what, what seems so unreasonable and so foolish, suddenly becomes the only right and reasonable option. Where else would we go, Peter says? You have the words of eternal life. What happened to Saul on the road to Damascus? Same God, different relationship. How did that relationship change? God intervened through Jesus. God initiated for Saul to see him. Saul learned this day that Jesus is the only way to right relationship with God. Saul learned this day that Jesus is, in fact, Lord. By God's own merciful intervention, Saul was given spiritual sight to see that the difference is Jesus. He is Lord. He is the way to be made right with God. So we should also note, by way of application, remember I started out telling you that his Conversion is indeed extraordinary. There's nothing ordinary about anyone's conversion. Listen to what Paul teaches in Ephesians 2. I'm going to run through it quickly. You can go read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 later today. I'll give you two homework assignments from Ephesians. That's one of them. So Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead. Not alive. Dead. Dead 
Verse four, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, God intervened. And in verses eight and nine, it will say, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. Not even faith is your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. Look at me. Look what I did. I'm so impressive to respond to the grace of God. Jesus reverses spiritual blindness, giving us the ability to respond rightly to Jesus as Lord, finally making us right with God. And in this text, we also see that Jesus provides help through his people. Ananias, go help Saul, verses 10 through 16. I can picture Ananias thinking this if he didn't say it. Are we talking about the Saul that I think we're talking about? I must have heard you incorrectly. You want me to go warn everybody that Saul is here, right? And that we better hide or scatter. There's a question we really do need to ask, though, about this section. When I read through it, when I read through it at the beginning, I'm thinking to myself, why, why does God involve Ananias? What is this involving Ananias? There are three things I want you to see. Number one, it's a help to the church to confirm that Saul is safe. Ananias is the first who can testify that Jesus confronted Saul and made him his own. No, Saul is different. Secondly, the appearance to Ananias corroborates Paul's own testimony concerning not only his conversion, but also his apostolic commissioning. Paul is going to become an apostle in leadership alongside Peter and the other 11 apostles. And so it's important that, that Saul's testimony about his commissioning as well is corroborated. And you see that Ananias hears this and confirms it in his conversation with Saul. And this is the most relevant, number three, to our own application. Involving Ananias teaches Saul and all of us that when we are born again, we are born into the family of God. We become members of the body of Christ. No one, no matter how extraordinary his conversion story, or how impressive his gifting, or how impactful his ministry on the church no one is above needing the body of Christ. Often when we hear about great failure of men and women in the body of Christ, it's because of a lack of accountability. It's because of a lack of ministry being done to them and with them. They've become above the fray. Every believer is a part of the body of Christ. Paul believed this, and he taught it, and he lived it. Listen to Paul's teaching about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 12, he says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, with Christians. But as it is, verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Skip to verse 21. 
The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that in fact seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now I start picturing the, the innards, you know, the guts, the most important parts of the body that keep a body functioning, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, the gallbladder. They're indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. This is how Paul would view Ananias as indispensable and worthy of greater honor. I am so thankful for this church family. Can you imagine how many believers there are in the world like us who get to be a part of a local fellowship that is a a, a microcosm of the, of the larger church, and they walk away from interacting with one another going, thank you, Lord, for this family. And I just want to tell you, as Paul says about those that receive less honor being, being the ones that, that deserve the greatest honor, you are, an indispens- you are indispensable to the body of Christ. Your quiet and consistent service in the shadows is worthy of greater honor. You may think it goes unnoticed, but the more mature believers know this is true and are grateful for you. And even if you should go unthanked in this world, even if you should go unthanked by your Christian friends, God does not overlook your loving service for the sake of his name. As I said, Paul not only believed this and taught it, he also lived it. Paul experienced great help and comfort and multiplication of ministry by working alongside fellow believers. His letters often have lists of such people. And Paul experienced the emotional loss and difficulty at times of feeling kind of alone without the support of the body around him. Paul experienced the hurt of being attacked by those who were supposed to be his brethren in the faith. Okay, so we see why it seems that the Lord involved Ananias to confirm that Saul is safe, to corroborate Saul's conversion and calling, and to emphasize the importance of the body of Christ for all believers. Now here's another question. Why does Ananias obey? I mean, Saul is scary, Ananias himself would have been one of the targets of Saul's murderous threats against the disciples of Jesus in Damascus. So why does he obey? Ananias obeys because Jesus is Lord. Not just a good man and a famous Jewish rabbi, a teacher to be considered amongst other various wise and decent human beings vying for his attention, vying for your attention, No, this is the Lord himself, who not only made a way for right relationship to God, but himself is that way. He is the Son of God in whom we place our faith, and therefore whom we worship and obey. So Ananias is listening for the Lord with an intent to obey. Here I am, Lord. His posture already demonstrates this willingness to obey. 
Now, this isn't going to be one of those easy things to obey. You know, you might say to your child, you need to finish all your ice cream. Our faith is tested when obedience is difficult. Will we trust and obey the Lord? The Lord is gracious to Ananias and he quiets his doubts and fears with comfort and confirmation of his will. The Lord's repetition of the command to go is coupled with an explanation that helps Ananias understand that Jesus is already at work and he will do something special with this former persecutor. What should we do with our doubts and fears? We should tell them to the Lord, 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast your cares on him. Why should you do that? Because God cares for you. You need it. You need to depend on him. So tell them to the Lord. That's what you do with your doubts and fears. And then you read his word to listen to his voice, where he comforts and he confirms his will for his people. For Ananias, too, as for Saul, the difference is Jesus because he is Lord. Jesus reverses spiritual blindness, and Jesus provides help through his people. Finally, Jesus gives all of us, if we are in him, Jesus gives us new purpose. We see how Saul is given new purpose in verses 15 to 19. Everybody knew what Saul thought his purpose was previously. Look at verse, and if you have your Bible open, look at the, the second half of verse 21, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? That's what thought, Saul thought his purpose was. I'm going to honor God, as we said, by torturing the followers of the way. But God interrupted Saul's purpose to save him and give him new purpose. We hear the term referenced purpose. A new purpose is in that, again, one of those parallels, Acts 26, 16. I want to mention here about this, the way it is for Saul is the way it is for us. God interrupts us with discipline for our good. Discipline stops us in our tracks because we're thinking and feeling something contrary to what honors God. Discipline stops us in our tracks because we're being selfish and foolish. So discipline is for the purpose of interrupting that wrong thinking and behavior in order to correct our hearts so that we can reset and live lives pleasing to God by the Holy Spirit he has given to each one of us who belong to him through faith in Jesus. So based on verse 17, what are we to understand has taken place during Saul's time out? Three days of being blind. Personally, I think it nearly certain that by the time Ananias arrives, Saul is truly converted, that he has repented and put his faith in Jesus as a response to the encounter on the road. We already know that Saul fasted, verse 9. He didn't even drink water. And by the way, I looked it up just to see how long we can go without water and and they don't know for sure. It depends on how healthy you are. But they say, like, beyond three days, it's probably dangerous. Saul fasts for three days, and he was praying, we saw, at the, verse, at the end of verse 11. And here Ananias enters the house and lays hand on, on, on him, calling him what? Brother Saul. 
In spite of this well-founded initial fear, the indication is that Ananias has interpreted what the Lord told him to mean that Saul has been brought into into the household of faith in Jesus Christ. Saul has gone from Christ persecutor to Christ follower. That would mean that what happens here then in these verses is that Saul is filled with the Spirit for service. He's empowered and controlled by the Spirit in accordance with this commissioning that he will be, as it says in verse uh, 15, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Was Saul a great missionary to Gentiles? Absolutely. Did Saul declare the truth before kings? Not only the king, the local king of Israel, but the emperor. And would Saul frequently speak in the synagogues to Jews wherever he went? Yes, he did. According to Paul's own teaching, every believer receives the indwelling spirit. Again, that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. But the filling of the spirit is an ongoing process in the Christian life, Ephesians 5, 18, in which the believer participates with the spirit, Galatians 5, 25. I know I'm going really fast, so if you're trying to scratch these down, you can look them up again in the text of the message if you go online. And as we participate with the Spirit, the Lord provides gifting and empowerment for service. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, and verse 11. Actually, that might be 1 Corinthians 12. (laughs) I need to correct that. And if external baptism saves you, then why is Paul being filled, empowered, and controlled for service? with the Spirit before he is physically dunked in water. If physical baptism is a part of the necessity of your salvation, then why is Paul being filled with the Spirit before he has been baptized? And why does Paul, among others in the New Testament, sometimes describe salvation without mentioning baptism at all? Romans 10, 9, and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Baptism is an important step of obedience to demonstrate outwardly what the Spirit has done inwardly, baptizing us into Christ, but salvation comes only by grace through faith, not by any work, not even baptism. Now, although he received his physical sight back, The spiritual difference wasn't that Ananias came and laid hands on him, nor that he was baptized in the water. The difference was that Jesus revealed himself to Saul as Lord, and the Holy Spirit gave Saul a new heart so that he responded in faith. Saul previously had a mission of his own making and a mission by his own effort that he thought pleased God. Now he has been given the Lord's own mission and the Spirit's empowering for that mission, and the fellowship of God's people who are on the same mission. So believer in Christ, be encouraged this morning that the Lord himself has chosen and commissioned you. In the early verses of Ephesians, Paul opens with an amazing prayer of blessing. 
encouraging the believers in the Ephesian church about their secure status in the Lord and how he deserves worship because of it. So here's your other homework. Read and pray through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 this afternoon or some other time soon. And then again, the other one was Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, 3 through 14, and Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And although we already looked at Ephesians, those words in Ephesians 2 that salvation is all of God's grace and we can't boast that we did anything to make it happen, Paul follows that up with this. So you've been chosen, Ephesians 1, 4 to 13, and then you are also commissioned, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So here's a reminder, Christian. You have been brought from death to life for a purpose. Salvation isn't simply get out of hell free. Jesus bought you with a price for a purpose. You are not your own. So your purpose is to glorify God by being set apart to him and being sent. Set apart and sent. Proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ until God brings you home. What have we seen today? I'm going to conclude with this. The difference is the Lord Jesus. Saul heads to Damascus one way, but he will depart another way, but on the same road, and the difference is Jesus. Saul sets off to Damascus, a zealous persecutor of the church, but he departs as her ally. The difference? Jesus. Saul has been viewing right relationship to the God of Israel one way, but he arrives in Damascus seeing differently, knowing God rightly. The difference is Jesus. Saul heads to Damascus thinking he's God's instrument to silence followers of the way, but he leaves as God's instrument willing to suffer to make more followers of the way. The difference is that Jesus is Lord over Saul. So for those of us who are gathered here this morning, when you come to realize you're a sinner with no hope to be right with a holy God, the difference is trusting Jesus as Lord. When religious efforts to keep the law only pronounce your own failure, Romans 3.20, when efforts to keep the law only pronounce your own failure, the difference is faith in Jesus. Romans 3.21 and 22, or as Paul will say of himself in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that is by faith only in Jesus Christ. And when you suffer as a Christian, when you suffer what would seem unfair and meaningless, that isn't the case because the difference is trusting and abiding in Jesus. Look, you can look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 14 to be encouraged. 
When someone you love precedes you in death, the difference is trusting and abiding in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 tells us that we don't mourn like people who have no hope. Your loved one has moved on to a better life, eternal life, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And when you, (laughs) when I, when you experience your inadequacy to serve the Lord, the difference is trusting and abiding in Jesus. And in all these things, we are secure and hopeful because God has given us his spirit. Romans 5, 5. He has poured our love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit he has given us. Let's pray. God of all glory, because of your own grace and mercy and by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see Jesus as Lord to trust him, and to abide in him. We trust in you to intervene in each of our lives to take us from death to life. We trust in you, Lord, to be our purpose and our source that we may serve you all our days. We rejoice in the hope of knowing that one day our faith will be sight and we will live with you forever. Amen.